If you're trying to make any kind of meaningful, effective change in your life, well, you have come to the right place because that is what my expert guests and I are here to help you do. Welcome to We're Talking Shift. This is the podcast where all we do is talk shift because when we're stuck and need to rise to a challenge, make a health shift, a relationship or an emotional shift, well, the first thing we have to shift, my friends, is our thinking. That is the antidote to feeling stuck. I'm Lori Bischoff, and I'm so glad you're here. Now, let's get busy. Good day, ladies and gents. Welcome back to another episode of We're Talking Shift. I have a real treat for you guys today. Ooh, yes, I am delighted to have joining us a world-renowned psychic therapist who is going to share some amazing things to help us Oh gosh, unblock and release our passion and purpose, uh, stop resistances and self-sabotaging behaviors, empower us to stop stopping ourselves. And well, in his words, wake the blank up. Mm, and I like those words, you guys know me, that, that, that rings true for me. So I can't wait for you to meet him, but let me just tell you a little bit about him first. Vincent Jenna is a well-respected spiritual teacher, a spiritual medium, psychotherapist, and a dynamic speaker who receives and deciphers messages from the other side to help improve our present lives. I bet I have your attention now, but wait, there's more. Vincent is an authentic and gifted psychic with the knowledge and experience of a licensed psychotherapist and the big, charming personality of a showman, which I'm sure you are going to see very soon. He combines his early background as a professional actor and singer, a master's in clinical social work, and his hospice experience helping more than 500 patients through the dying process with his uncanny skills as a metaphysician and a psychic medium. The sum total of these experiences is gifts and his gifts is a psychic who can guide people not only to recognize what is preventing them from healing or attaining their dreams, but the necessary steps to get there. Vincent has given countless keynote presentations around the world to organizations such as the Edgar Cayce's Association for Research Enlightenment, the Institute of Noetic Sciences, the International Association of Near-Death Studies, and the Afterlife Research Education Institute, as well as numerous interviews on Unity Radio, Hay House Radio, Gaia TV, the Hallmark Channel. He's done celebrity podcasts and, and just tons more. You're going to love him. Oh, and did I mention that he is a beloved speaker at various unity centers and many other spiritual centers throughout the country? So by the end of this podcast, you guys, you just may have a whole new outlook on what is possible in your life. So without further ado, welcome, Vincent. Oh my gosh, Lori, thank you so much. And thank you for that introduction. That is absolutely amazing. And at my age, I need to be reminded of all the things I did. I've forgotten them. I was like, oh, wow, I did? Wow, I forgot. <laughs> thank you for inviting me here. Absolutely. I'm so tickled to have you. And I have to say, um, before I dive in, I, I'm so excited to get your story and hear all of your words of wisdom. But I have to say, um, I was immediately, 
I don't know, connected or something. But when I read about uh, your involvement with the Edgar Casey um, research in Enlightenment, it's, I was I was completely like I I know where your head is at already because I grew up with a mother who was a avid student of Edgar Casey. She read every Edgar Casey book, and so my sister and I were, um, you know, learning things in that realm when we were teenagers and it's you don't hear his name um very often anymore so i'm always like kind of excited and impressed when i hear somebody else's um you know really tapped into that oh laurie that was so important for me back when i had my spiritual awakening because when i thought i was crazy um which i still think and everybody else does too in my family anyway but I was told I was going to be guided to the right people and the right places and the right information to help me along the way. Well, it was Edgar Casey material that I was guided to first. So before I even got involved doing any of the work, I was researching, studying, reading, taking classes through the Edgar Casey Foundation to lay a foundation for me. And it was the best foundation that I had got. It really rooted me and grounded me mm -hmm. um, and also normalized me. Um, and, and here is the funny thing about that. That was over 38 years ago now that I was doing all of that research and study. And I even said, geez, one day I would love to be one of their speakers or teachers. And just a few years ago, out of the clear blue, I receive an email from the director of education at Edgar Casey inviting me to speak there. I was like, are you kidding me? I wow. studied there. I love the material. I love all the teachers. Mm. And you're inviting me to be one of the speakers. It was what I considered it one of the greatest honors and going in full circle for me. So I love that, Lori. And I love that you appreciated Edgar Casey's material too. I keep referring people to him. Yeah, that's just amazing. And just a quick note before we move on for for those of our listeners that are not familiar, um, Edgar Casey was um, well. He was called. He was a clairvoyant. He was called the sleeping prophet. Um, he died in 1945, so this is a little while back. But um, he um, he is also referred to as the father of holistic medicine. So uh, you know all of the things that are so trendy now around holistic healing, holistic health, holistic medicine, holistic fill in the blank, um, he was at the forefront and really moving forward with all things holistic. Um, and also, um, he was uh, to, I think, to date the most um, documented psychic of the 20th century. So uh, he's kind of a big deal. Um, <laughs> he's a really big deal. So if you Absolutely. haven't heard of him, people, and that's something that interests you, there are volumes of material on him and he's fascinating. Well, I, I, because of his medical readings, people don't know this, but they're actually using products created by Edgar Casey. Mm -hmm. Vicks Vapor Rub was created by Edgar Casey back in the old days when we used to use the red iodine when we got a cut and we hated mom for putting it on because yeah. it burnt. Well, yeah. that was also created by Edgar Casey and healing practices that are still practiced today, mm -hmm. um, healing for psoriasis and different ailments and diseases. So he's still around 
without people even knowing it. So I just respect that so much. Yeah, yeah. I still use um, Edgar Cayce products that I've been using since I was a teenager. Um, they're amazing. So, all right, enough about Edgar. Bless okay. his heart. <laughs> okay, so let's just get right into the nitty gritty of this first. Everybody always wants to know the obvious, like when and how did you, Vincent, realize that you were a psychic and had these mediumship abilities? How did that come about for you? Oh, you know, Lori, I wish I could say that when I was a little kid, I walked into my bedroom and there I saw an angel sitting at the foot of my bed, you know, and all of that wonderful stuff started happening. No, usually when I walked into the bedroom, it was mom with a belt in her hand sitting at the oh. foot of my bed, ready to wallop me for something stupid I did, whatever it was back then. But for me, it actually didn't happen until I was 28 years old. And, and to try to give the abridged version of this story, I was the one who was bullied and tormented through my entire school career until I was 17 years old and graduated high school. I mean, every day chased, caught, beat up, shoved in lockers, head flushed in toilets, um, spit on, peed on, thrown in dumpsters, all of that stuff. Oh my God. And the guy who caused most of the antagonism for me was the, the famous clown jock who was, you know, loved by all the jocks and the jockettes in the school. So he would get them to antagonize and pick on me. Well, when I was also young, I happened to be a really good singer and actor and dancer. And I latched on to that. And I thought that that was supposed to be my career. And I went full blast into trying to be a professional. And I wound up landing myself a part in the movie Grease. Okay. Yes, the mm -hmm. original one with Olivia Newton John and really? John Travolta. Okay. And that was just a. Oh, yeah. You got to make a note of that, yeah. right? Make, we make it a note that. so I can go back and watch now. Okay, go ahead. Oh, go absolutely. Ahead. Yeah, right. And so it was just before my 10-year high school reunion. And of course, Greece, as we know, it became an overnight blockbuster. And so because I was in it and I came from a small town, I became a small town famous star. All right. Even though I didn't have a major part in it, more in the background and throughout the whole thing, it didn't matter. I was in this movie, right? right. Well, here right. comes my 10-year high school reunion. And all the kids and all the girls and all the guys and the jocks who picked on me now embraced me. It was like a Cinderella story, Laurie. And they came around me. They sat at my table the entire night. They wanted me to tell stories. And this guy who caused my antagonism came, yelled my name, came running up to me, grabbed me in a bear hug I couldn't even get out of. He held me there for five minutes, no exaggeration, and no words were spoken, but the energy and my heart felt nothing but a forgive me coming from him. Mm. And without me saying anything back, I embraced him hard back, which was, of course I do. From that moment on, we became dear friends. So he was once my enemy, now he becomes my dear friend. So he caused my greatest antagonism, but mm -hmm. this is how he caused my gifts. His life wasn't doing very well, and I was the 
only one who knew that inside. Had no idea why I would know this, but every time he was bragging about how well his job was, his marriage with his three kids and his health and his finances, beautiful condo in Connecticut, I just kept hearing, this isn't true. Something's wrong, something's wrong. So after one weekend that my wife and I spent with him in Connecticut, I was driving home in tears. I was crying because I felt my heart breaking. My wife didn't know what was going on. And I said, I, I, I've got to help him. I know something is wrong, but I don't know how to help him. And I cried out to God for the first time in my life. And I prayed, please give me the ability. Please give me something to be able to help him. And even others like him, because I know what it's like to have your ego, your self-esteem, your self-belief torn away from you. And I know he's in a desperate position and he has nobody to talk to because he's not like that. Give me the ability. Well, we know what you say about asking for something, you know, whenever you ask for something, especially when you're asking the big guy. Well, within a week or so, all of this paranormal. Steven Spielberg couldn't have written a better epic movie than what was going on with me. Between psychics coming into my life and being introduced to me out of nowhere, and then all of a sudden my mind and is being filled with all of this knowledge and information, then I start trancing, just like Edgar Casey did before I even knew him or anything about it. Words are coming out of my mouth that I couldn't hold back or suppress. I'm reading people's minds. I'm telling them what they just did that I I didn't know what's going to happen. That does happen. Then dead people start coming. It was insane. I can only thank goodness for my wife because she was my first girlfriend when I was 17 years old. She knew me upside down and inside out. And she knew that I didn't know any of the stuff I was speaking about. Mm -hmm. And so she realized something must be going on here. And then, as I said earlier, I was immediately, I met these people. I'm in a doctor's office and I'm going through my head and I'm having this small conversation with my wife. I had a doctor's appointment. I remember this so clearly. And I'm, I'm going, what is going on with me? And what is that? And no matter where I go, I hear people's thoughts. I'm, I'm getting, I know this about the person sitting over there and I don't know what to do with it. And there's a woman sitting next to us who turns around and she says, Lori, she says, I'm so, I don't mean to be over listening to your conversation, but you, you just, you're talking about some stuff that I know about. And I'm like, so intrigued. I'm like, well, what do you mean? She said, I think I know what you're going through and the best answers you're going to get is go research Edgar Casey." Edgar Casey. She says, out of the clear blue, she tells me about this guy. She tells me she's spiritual. She's been on a journey. She was trying to let me know what was happening to me. Thank goodness for her. And here I am in a doctor's office. And that's how it began for me. That's Lord. amazing. That's amazing. It was a tsunami of paranormal and metaphysical stuff that happened. So no little angel at the foot of my bed. Mm-mm. So, I mean, that's so interesting because, you know, people, people ask for things and, and pray for insight and pray for things and, and affirm things. I mean, everyone's, you know, been doing that in their own way, probably since the beginning of humanity, but I'm just, and a lot of times people say, 
you know, it, it never happens or it never comes, you know, whatever they're asking right. for, it's not answered. And I'm just right. thinking you, um, you said that this, this ask that you had, it, it was so much out of, um, it was so much out of like from your soul. Um, it wasn't mm -hmm. like, I just want to do this because I want to do this because I want to have this because I want to be this. This was like this deep yearning right out of, you know, the center of your soul. It was so sincere and, and, and fueled by sincere emotion that do you think that that is part of why you were just so open to receiving the, this gift? That is absolutely one of the reasons why that happened is because, and, and in thinking about it, most people pray not just for themselves, you know, help me, you know, get this job, help me with the relationship, help me with my health, whatever. But when they want to pray for somebody else, they say, help them. Help that guy, help this girl, help my uncle, help my aunt, help my mother, right? right. I didn't do that. My prayer was to help me help him. So that's number one that was different. And I really believe, Lori, that we are meant to acknowledge or have a desire to want to be able to help, to want to be able to give to another person. It was one of my most unselfish acts that I can now think of ever. It wasn't so that I can become grand. And even though this is a wonderful, glorious reward of being on your show, it wasn't for the purpose of getting anything like that. It was sincerely, like you said, a genuine plea to give me something that I can help him with because I know nobody else is going to. He's not sharing with anybody else. But mm -hmm. if I had something that I can go to him with, and I didn't know, I wasn't asking for psychic ability. I didn't right. know what God was going to give me when I prayed. But, and I think most people also don't know what they're going to, you know, they don't know what the outcome is. They just pray for the sake of praying because mm -hmm. that's what they're told to do. Mm -hmm. But they don't necessarily pray for the sake of believing. And well, that was a really the good distinction. Mm -hmm. The yeah. distinction. I believed that I was going to get something because it, it was so deep and desperate, like you said, so deep yeah. and desperate and genuine. And I know people like mothers when they have sick children, oh my God, there can't be greater prayers than that, right? Greater right. prayers than that. And, and I, I understand why it seems like some prayers are answers and, and others aren't. I mean, that's part of the work that I do and I have to answer that for people. Yeah. You know, yeah. uh, because yeah. so much of the time when we ask God, we're really asking in doubt and we're really asking because we have nowhere else to turn, not because we believe we're going to be answered. The mm -hmm. belief opens the door. The power is always there, Lori. The prayers are automatically answered before we even ask them. Right. Because that power and source knows what we need. So it doesn't wait, you know, go, hmm, well, her prayer is better than his prayer. So right. I'm going to answer her instead of him. Right. No, yeah. it's on. Boy, these people are really praying. I'm going to keep the prayer answering machine on. Let's keep going there. But the yeah. secret and the key is you've got to believe mm -hmm. in the power mm -hmm. of the prayer in yourself and in spirit. 
I I think so too. And I think that's such a great distinction because it is not just a hope and a wish. That is not the same as a belief. Right. The belief is that's just right. that knowing. And really, I think it even is beyond the knowing. It's the, you expect it. I expect my my prayer to be answered. I I deserve for my prayer to be answered. You know, you're affirming it. So it, it's definitely oh, at another God. level than a plea or a hope. It is. And you just not only answered why prayers are answered, you also just stated why dreams are attained, why manifesting what you want is attained, because you expect it. You believe so anybody who has attained their dreams, it's because they expected to. There was absolutely no doubt in their minds. Mm-hmm. Oh, I'm going to achieve this. I'm going to get this. I'm going to all your luminaries. A prime example, Wilbur Wright woke up one morning and said to his brother, oh, you're not going to believe this. I just had this incredible vision that people were flying in some type of vehicle in the sky. And Orville's like, what are you, crazy? It was a nightmare. Go back to bed. He said, oh, no, no, no. I know it's real because if it came into my head, it's real. So Mm -hmm. we got to now create that. And he believed in it. And the same goes for Thomas Edison with the light bulb, Henry Ford, um, all of them believed, no Mm -hmm. doubt in their mind. They didn't necessarily know how they were going to get there, but they figured, oh, well, the universe will bring me on some help, but Mm -hmm. I know it's true. Right, And it's it's that knowing. And yes, so yes, so the story is, is, uh, I really had such a deep, like I said, I didn't know what I was going to get, and boy, was I surprised. (laughs) I bet. Were you scared? Was, I mean, this must have, were you afraid or scared at any, you know, in some manner okay. or were you just like, yeah, bring it on? You know what I was afraid of, Lori? You got to remember. And the way I got into the movie Grease was not a normal way. It was an a, a bold um, thing that I did and a risk that I took in order to get into that movie. And so I was a risk taker. Um, I had, it was a, a lot of false confidence that I had, but remember I said I was tormented? Well, mm-hmm. I latched onto things and knowing whether I had the skill, the understanding or anything, I had passion, intensity and arrogance. Mm. And it was that arrogance. And as a kid, I call it arrogance because children can't be narcissistic. And even young adults aren't narcissistic. You grow into that as a defense mechanism. But I had this arrogance of um, believing that, well, I can do it. I'm fine. I'm going to. But what I was afraid of is what happens if 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 everybody is thinking that I've got these grandiose ideas about me because I need to feel special? Mm. And that was more of a fear. Well, what happens if I'm even doing this because of my need to feel special? Mm-hmm. And this was before I even took any psychology course or anything like that. I was very young. I was 28 years old, like I said. Um, and, and even though I had our first child, then it was still, um, I don't want to do this. I don't want to do it the wrong way. I don't want to do it for the wrong reason. I don't want to do it because I was tormented all my life and now I need something to feel good. Be- and I, I made a plea to God. I made an arrangement. I said, okay. 
you're giving me all of this stuff. That's what I, I claim that, you know, gave credit over to spirit for giving me all of this rather than finally realizing we all have it. And I just opened the door to it. Right. Mm -hmm. But I said, listen, if I'm going to be using your words and your wisdom and your gifts, please make sure I'm using them right. And if for any reason that I go off path and I'm using them wrong, take my voice away. Wow. That's what I said, I said, take my voice wow. away because I don't ever want to use your words to hurt people because I knew how many people were. Mm -hmm. I knew how yeah. I was an arrogant 13 year old yeah. altar boy. And even though back then, and I understand now my connection along the whole way, I was raised Roman Catholic because I was Italian and lived in New York and Italian parents have a law that you must be raised Roman Catholic. And if you're a male, you gotta be an altar boy and smacked around by the priests. So I'm an altar boy, but I used to argue with them. Every one of them, they loved me, but I'd argue with them that they were teaching God and Jesus wrong. Oh. And so I used to get the you know what beat out of me by my mother because she thought I was condemning them to hell because mm. I argued with the priest, but I didn't care. I said, you're teaching God and Jesus wrong. I don't know what the answer was. Oh, you I were going rogue wrong. at a young age. You went you went rogue at a young age. Oh, rogue. Rogue isn't the word for it. Rogue. I was rogue all my life until I was kicked out of my mother's house. I Oh, God, if, she, if she's going to roll over in a grave as I share this story. I was so rogue that at 17 years old, I had an argument with her. She was so angry with me. She had a a frying pan in her hand. Now she used to hit me all the time with spoons and all different things. She wanted so desperately to hit me with that pan she couldn't. So she hit herself in the head and knocked herself down on the ground. And I can't believe I'm laughing about it now, but I can because she's not alive and she's laughing along with me. Right, right. Oh my gosh, <laughs> poor woman. I'm waiting for the lightning bolt. No, no lightning bolt. Okay. So Vincent, that's how you, rogue I was, but I was bad. You drove your mother to oh, hit crazy. herself with a frying pan. <laughs> okay. So so <laughs> she she's she's in the realm of the all-knowing now. She's laughing too. <laughs> she's fine. She's fine. Thank God there's no frying pans up there. Otherwise, one would come out of the sky right now. <laughs> right. Be, be careful. Um, okay, so what made you decide to um, add, I guess you went along, you had already then received this gift. You're aware of it. You're using it. Um, and then, uh, you decided to go ahead and get a BA in psychology and, and a, a master's in social work okay. to, to add to <laughs> well, that. Here's, yeah. Well, here's rogue two. Okay. So here I get this incredible psychic and mediumship gift and there was no way I was going to tell anybody I was a psychic. Mm -hmm. I, that was for loony people who lived in California, not me. <laughs> so anytime I did anything like I was, I was doing it part time, right? Somebody said, learn how to give tarot card readings or psychic readings. And I went, Fine. I fought it tooth and nail all the way. I tell you why I fought it. One, because I was afraid of it, like we talked about before. And I was going to I just like 
No, I'm not a spiritual teacher. I'm not meant to be. I am a professional actor. I am meant to be on the big screen. I am meant to have a Hollywood star in the Walk of Fame and get an Academy Award and then be on Broadway. That's what I was meant to do. So don't tell me I'm going to be a spiritual teacher. So I went rogue with God. Oh. So, okay. So, yeah, tell me about out? it. Okay. You don't go rogue with God. It didn't. No. Um, <laughs> I kept getting, uh, hitting brick walls all along the way as I was trying to be an actor. Mm. And I would come this close to getting the leading role, this close to getting a part in a movie, this close to getting a role on Broadway. And it never happened. It never happened. I'm like, what do you want from me? So that's when I went into it. Okay, I'll do it part time. Shh, shh. I'm not a psychic. I'm a transpersonal counselor. Mm, it sounded okay. better. Mm. Transpersonal counselor. What am I going to call myself a psychic and put up a palm and say, Brother Vinny next to Sister Sarah on the highway? I don't think so. No, it wasn't <laughs> going to happen. So I was transpersonal or I was an intuitive mentor. Mm -hmm. intu People could accept that. So I'm doing these readings. And, and I'm still working in the entertainment field. And all of a sudden, all of a sudden, I get into a car accident that takes me out of the entertainment field altogether. And now I have nothing to do for work. And somebody, one of my clients that I was doing readings for, I was sharing this story one day doing a reading for him. And he said, why don't you become a psychotherapist? I get more help from you than I get from my own therapist. And I'm yeah. like a psychotherapist. You just can't go and say you're a psychotherapist. I'd have to go back to school. I had no school whatsoever because when I was 18 years old, I had won a four-year scholarship to a major university in New York for my acting it was famous for its replica Globe Theater and Shakespeare department. And I won a scholarship there and I slept in the parking lot for the first semester and dropped out because I was that false, arrogant guy who believed I didn't need any classes. I'm a wonderful actor. I'm going to be famous without that. And nobody goes to college back then to be an actor. So I had to start school all over again. I talked to my wife about it. She said, why don't you do that? That way you don't have to call yourself a psychic. You can be a psychotherapist, okay? So I go back to school for seven years it took me oh to God. get my degree finally, right? You were committed. So now, not, yeah, tell me about, and I did it as an adult. We had two children. We lived off of my wife's salary because I did it full time so I can get it done sooner. I mean, the greatest joy of that, actually, Lori, was when my kids and I would be sitting at the kitchen table doing our homework together. And believe me, they helped me more with my Spanish homework. I helped them with the math, but they did. Every, it was hysterical, the three of us. Nice. But I went through it. I got my degree. Now I'm not a psychic. I'm a psycho. <laughs> right. Yeah, I'm a, I, I, okay. Right. I am a psychotherapist, right? Okay. 
That's legitimate now. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But here's what happened with that. I'm still refusing to do my psychic work full time, but it was getting, uh, I was having to now follow rules because you have to be licensed in order to do that kind of work. And in order to be licensed, you have to follow policies and regulations for that field. So I couldn't sit there and give my clients answers. I had to sit there and listen and listen and listen and listen while I'm saying in my head, I know the answer. Can we just jump there? My supervisors used to say, Vince, you've got a sixth sense of this because you diagnose people within the first five minutes of meeting them so accurately, and it takes us a week. And I was like, yeah, I guess I have a sixth sense at this. I didn't tell anybody, but that frustrated me. They didn't know what your real job was. Yeah, exactly what my real job was. And, And I felt so restricted, Lori, that finally I turned around and I said, okay, I can't do this anymore, God. Again, there I go talking to God again. I, I should have learned the first time. Mm-hmm. And I said, you got to get me out of this work so that I could do what I really want to do now. I, 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 all right. I don't know how to become a full-time psychic medium. You can help me with that. Another car accident happened in 2008. I was in a car accident while I was working. So I was put on workers' comp. I sustained brain injury. I couldn't drive anymore because I had double vision. Not only was I taken out of the field I was working at, I could no longer be a clinical social worker because in North Carolina, you have to have a driver's license in order to do that. They took away my driver's license. So I go, all right, now what do I do? And all of a sudden in my email box out of the clear blue from Hay House is a workshop, become a mover and shaker, spiritual mover and shaker. I said, this is it. I'm going to do that. I took the classes. Then I was getting phone calls out of the clear blue to do readings from part time to full time. The entire job morphed. But I went rogue for that many years To not do it the way I was meant to do it. Mm -hmm. And I know a lot of people are doing the same thing with the gifts they receive because they're so afraid of themselves. Yes. Yes. Which is exactly why I love it when everyone shares their going rogue story, because, you know, practically everyone that isn't out there, um, you know, living their passion and purpose 100%. There are some people that are doing it, but I think there are more people that aren't, that don't know how, that are afraid to, that don't know where to start. You know, there's, there's just all kinds of things that are challenging them or stopping them. So it's just awesome when people share these stories and, and hopefully, you know, at least one person that's listening feels encouraged and inspired to be like, maybe I need to just, you know, heed the call, just trust and heed the call. And so it's really important that we share these stories. And especially when, when your calling is in some way, shape or form, you know, the gift of being of service to others, there's just, you know, it's such a wonderful calling. It's so fulfilling that um, I, I hope that we encourage other people to step out and, and step into that calling for everyone's sake. Oh, 
For, uh, yes, absolutely. And and the thing of it is, Laurie, is sometimes we misinterpret what our calling is. Like mm-hmm. I said, I thought with the gifts that I had as a singer, dancer, and an actor that I was meant to be a professional entertainer of some kind. And so I latched onto that. The word is latched. Mm-hmm. I held it so securely because of my story, because of the torment I went through, that I wasn't willing to release it at all to find out if that was what I was was really meant to do. But here's what's interesting about that. So when I finally accepted what I was meant to do as a spiritual teacher and a psychic therapist now and a medium, not only is it a thousand times more rewarding than when I was an actor and singer and performing, and, and that was wonderful for me, but I'm able to use all of those same skills When I got on a stage, I was able to hold people's emotions in their hearts in my hand, in the palm of my hands. I could make them cry. I can make them laugh. I can make them think and ponder. I can make them feel sad. Well, I do the same thing when I'm trying to feed them messages or help them or empower them in some way. And so I'll make them laugh. I'll add some sugar to it in the mix because I've got such hard messages to share. I even still sing at my events to inspire them a different way. So, and because there's all forms of inspiration and being able to inspire people, right? So I use all of that today, but there's nothing more rewarding than fulfilling what your mission is, what you're meant to do, what you chose to do. I didn't know I chose to do it until I accepted it, Laurie. Then all the pieces of the puzzle fit together, including the beginning part with the torment, with the story, with the abuse that I went through. I've used all of that for the exact same reason that you just said, to help inspire others. Who has ever had a successful um, treatment going to an AA meeting, an Alcoholics Anonymous meeting, and having the leader that has never had a substance abuse problem lead it. You won't find that. It's always the one who's been through it to be able to lead people out of it because they know what it's like and you can relate to them. So I hope my story is for people to relate. And believe me, as much as I went through it's still not as much as some other people have gone through. And maybe it is more than others, mm-hmm. but anybody can relate and understand that your story can stop you, get in the way, but you all have the chance to stop stopping yourself. And that's my major work. And even in yeah. the name of my radio show in Unity and all my workshops, stop stopping yourself and become unstoppable. All right, so so let me ask you this, Vincent. Um, do you know and i know now um since you've just laid out that you ended up after going to school for seven years and you ended up not staying in the line of work as a professional licensed psychotherapist correct but 
what I'm wondering right. is, and so maybe this maybe this doesn't apply now, but my question was going to be, uh, like, do do people um, do they come to you for a reading and then you kind of weave some therapy into the session, or were they coming to you for therapy and then maybe you could read uh, weave some of your psychic magic into the session? How does that work as a client coming to you for help? That's an excellent question, Laurie. And I can tell you right now, their souls guide them the entire way because I have an arrangement with the universe. Don't bring anybody to me that is not ready for the deepest work and for the biggest transformation because that's what I'm able to do. As a psychotherapist from the past and my knowledge of the human mind, I'm able to get in there even deeper than the majority of any psychic. They don't go that deep. They don't go that dark because they don't want to open up a can of worms they don't know how to deal with it mm. so when a client comes to me they have no idea consciously what's in store for them but when they hear how deep i go they were all ready for it they were all thankful for it but they were also all surprised by it because they would always say I never expected this. And then when word of mouth, because that's how I get so many of my readings from the thousands of people all over the world, their word of mouth is, oh my God, you got to go to this guy. Mm. It's, I do 12 years of psychotherapy in one hour session as a psychic, because I can go right to the hardest place to be able to bring that to the surface for you, for us to do the greatest work. And my job as a psychic and a medium is not just to tell you, yes, you're getting married next year. Yes, you're gonna have two babies, a boy and a girl. Don't get me wrong, that comes in the mix, yeah. but I'm gonna be teaching you as to anything that may be stopping that, that's blocking you, that's keeping you from achieving all that you want, all your dreams, desires, feeling your worth, feeling lovable. That's the work mm -hmm. that I do. So yes, I use my skills as a psychic. Yes, I use my skills as a psychotherapist and a medium and anything else. And as an actor, a performer, I will dance the jig if I have to in order to open up the blocks yeah. and release your resistances. So they have no idea until they get here, but their soul in an unconscious way lets them know you need this, it's okay. And they'll, and so I can't tell you how many of them turn around and say, I have no idea why I'm supposed to have made an appointment with you, but there was just something. I, um, I heard you on a radio and then something just told me that I had to make an appointment with you or, or I was sleeping and woke up one morning and happened to turn on the radio and something told me to listen to you and I'm listening. So there was always yeah. something that told them. Right, and of course, right. it's their souls. So the human mind doesn't know what it needs. Not all the time. The soul right. does. So yeah. yes, to answer your question, I do all forms of therapy, which is the reason why I now call myself a psychic therapist. So here I am, a psychic and a psycho therapist. <laughs> I'd like to complete this word. Yeah, yeah. We want to make sure you complete the phrase, right? <laughs> so, yeah. but but I I really like you pointing out though the fact that um, there's a lot of talk around um, 
what is stopping people because so many times um and myself even as a coach um people you know my clients is like what do i what do i need to do you know i need to go in this direction what are the things i can start you know doing or thinking or believing or planning blah 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 but uh, so oftentimes there are things that are overlooked that they need to stop doing there are some things that have to you've just got to stop doing this so that you can make space for um, and allow for, you know, the, the new direction and the new thoughts to come in and the new inspiration. Um, so what do you think, um, you know, in your experience, um, what is typically, if there is a typical stopping people from living a life that they feel satisfied with, you know, how do you help them stop stopping themselves? Oh, wow. Okay. I love that. Well, the first step in this and the most important acknowledgement that everybody has to make is that they don't believe what they think they believe. There are anomalies that go on with the human mind because of the brain. The brain's two highest functions, number one, Lori, is to keep us alive. Mm -hmm. And number two, the way it keeps us alive is by protecting us. So we know how it protects us physically, for example, the pandemic that we had, the coronavirus, the coronavirus did not cause fevers in people. The brain did. When the virus gets in or a bacteria gets in, your brain raises your body temperature purposely to make it an unlivable environment for the virus. That's how it protects us physically. Mm -hmm. But what does it do to protect us emotionally? Emotional pain that we start out with so young in life, all of the, what I call the maladaptive beliefs, the I'm not, I'm not good enough, I'm not smart enough, I'm not pretty enough, I'm not deserving enough, I'm not lovable enough. And we form those beliefs from the negative environmental messages that we receive as we're growing up. Well, when you keep thinking about those things, it hurts. So the brain has to step in and create defense mechanisms. That's mm -hmm. our, We know the Freudian defense mechanisms, projection, rejection, um, sublimination, repression, suppression, all of those wonderful words that most people don't even know what's going on, denial. Mm -hmm. And your brain will create a new set of beliefs to shield you from what you're really believing. Okay, so what matter is it that you're not believing what you really believe? Well, now steps in spirituality. Take the beliefs that you truly have about yourself and plug them in the wall because that's what we are plugged into. We're plugged into a force, a power that allows us to manifest our lives, but we don't manifest them based on what we believe or think we believe. Not our thoughts, as everybody says. We manifest them on our unconscious, deep, down thoughts, because that's where we're connected to the force, not in our conscious mind, in our unconscious mind. So when you are out there trying to get the love of your life and partner, and they don't work out, or something happens, he turns, she turns into somebody else that you shouldn't, or it becomes sabotage, or the person gets sick and even dies or moves to another country, whatever the reason is, it's because you never believed you were lovable, and that's what you attracted. If you don't get 
that promotion at work that you so deserve or your finances are so bad, it's because you don't believe you're good enough. And people don't know what they're truly believing. So the first most important step is acknowledge the defense and say, if I'm not getting this, chances are it's because I don't believe I deserve it. I'm good enough. I'm lovable, whatever it is. You have to acknowledge there's a possibility you're believing something other than what you think you're believing. And what's stopping people is the defense mechanism, the defense. Most of my job, when I'm doing a reading or a session with somebody, the beginning portion of the work I have to do is burst their bubbles. For example, if you get a blister, right? A blister forms a, a skin and liquid over the damaged area. Well, sometimes that can become infested and it doesn't heal. And when, no matter how much medication you put on top of it, because it's not touching the wound, it doesn't get healed. So what do you have to do in order to get the medicine on the wound itself? Mm. You have to break the blister. Yeah. All right. You can be walking around with the belief. Oh, I believe I'm lovable. I believe I'm good enough. It's not my fault. It's all my partners that I've had. They're a bunch of jerks. Oh, my boss is a jerk. It has nothing to do with me. Not true. If you're experiencing it, you're manifesting it. There is no victimization in this life, Lori, which is the hardest thing for people to accept. Yeah. And you are manifesting either what you want or what you don't want. So you have to get to acknowledge that you're getting in your way first and have the second, have the willingness. That's the most courageous part. Have the willingness mm. to find out what it is you're really believing about yourself. Because that's the only way you can heal it. You cannot heal what you don't see needs healing. And you can't cover it up either. There's too many practitioners in our realm, in my metaphysical realm as a psychic, as a medium, too many practitioners that say, just say beautiful affirmations, just have new thoughts to think about, and you'll replace the other ones. No, you can't replace your past. You can't cover it up with pretty pictures. You've got to actually release it and get rid of it in some way before you can put in the new thoughts. And you yeah. can get rid of it, but only when you face it first. So what do you say to That's people? Hard. Yeah, and I, I mean, I'm totally with you on all of that. Um, what do you say when people say, yeah, but if it's it, if it's buried deep in my subconscious and I don't know it's there, how do I find it and get rid of it or heal it in order for the new affirmations or thoughts or beliefs or, you know, whatever it is they're trying to manifest can come in when they say, well, yeah, but I, maybe it's there. I'm willing, but how do I find it? It's elusive. Mm. Well, Here's the funny thing about all humans. They will always be able to find and see what they want to find and see. So 
what you just spoke is an actual defense mechanism. It's deep inside my mind. I but it's in your mind. It's not in my mind. It's in your mind. And you know what's really funny about that? How many times are you asleep and have nightmares? How many times are these fleeting thoughts go past you that you want to ignore, but you, you, you hear them and then you just turn away from them and you say no? How many times do you deny your doubt, your fear? Those are all indications of what's deep within you. And it's not as deep. It actually takes a huge amount of energy to suppress. Mm -hmm. Now, I do understand this as a psychotherapist. One of the defense mechanisms is repression. Now, repression is different than suppression, okay? Suppression is when we consciously say, I don't want to think about this anymore. I'm just pushing it aside and never thinking about it again. So it's a conscious control mm -hmm. to push something aside. Mm -hmm. Repression happens by itself. Your brain does it automatically if it feels it's so traumatic. So um, many times I had women come to me in my therapy who had all of the symptoms of having been molested as a child or hurt some way as a child, but they don't have the memory of it. But something tells them within as we're talking about it, yeah, you know, you must be right, but I can't remember it. Not until they're willing to. Your brain can only hide what you want it to hide. It will release the moment you say, all right, I'm ready for this. I got my boxing gloves on. I've got whatever I need, right? I, I sanitized myself, sterilized myself. Bring it all up. Come on, let's go. And all of a sudden, it will start to come up. There are exercises, wonderful exercises of journaling. Why do people journal? Because the moment they start writing things, they're releasing something, memories. There are meditation journaling exercises where you can have a conversation with your inner child and that inner child will talk to you instantaneously. It is not a difficult process. It's a difficult practice, Lori, mm -hmm. because people are afraid to hurt. But, but, here, but here's what people have to understand psychologically. You can never relive an old emotion. I'll say that again. You can never relive an old emotion. Once you felt something, that's it. It's gone. However, but inside of you, it can only, your emotions and your feelings can only be ignited with a new thought. So memories may come to the surface right about the situation mm -hmm. if you don't go and think something horrible about it again it mm -hmm. won't cause a bad feeling i can describe to you every single torment moment i went through sexually because i was abused sexually as well i can describe it i can describe my beatings i can describe everything without one ounce of pain without one tear without one hair on the back of my neck because i worked through those issues and i'm not creating a new thought where most people's repain again is because they're sitting there getting re-angry or how can this happen to me they keep ruminating over the story and ruminating over the the feelings oh my god mm -hmm. i can't believe my mother did that to me 
And that's what recreates the pain, sure. new painful emotions. Right. But if so, they just had the courage to face them. I'm sorry, go ahead. Yeah, yeah, no, that's beautiful. Um, so I feel like part of that would be, you know, if you are recalling a painful experience, a painful memory, um, if you are willing to apply a new meaning to it, then you are, of course, going to um, end up having a different emotion around it. So would you say that that plays into it? If, um, if somebody's remembering something like you remember things now, like you just described that were terrible and painful. Um, if you didn't have a new perception and a new meaning about, you know, what those things mean in your life now, then you would maybe be experiencing negative emotions again or each time you remembered. Do you know what I'm saying? That is a lot of people's fears exactly that they're going to re-experience it. Um, however, Laurie, the, again, um, and, and said in a different way, one of the reasons why people are re-experiencing their pains is, believe it or not, they want to hold on. They want to hold on to the angers. They want to even hold on to some of the pains because it's what they're used to. They're yeah. not used to being happy. I've done, when I was doing psychotherapy and I had clients in with me, I'd be sitting there listening to them and we did so much work, right? Time would go on. We did a bunch of work. They're ex expressing to me wonderful things they did during the week. But as soon as I ask them, but how are you feeling now? Well, I'm still depressed. And I can see that they're still depressed. I'm like, wait a minute. Why are you holding on to the depression? What, you're, you just finished telling me all these wonderful things that happened during the week, but you're refusing to be happy. And it, as, as crazy as it sounds, it's absolutely true. And sometimes I have to admit it for them. Mm -hmm. And when they finally admit it, they ask me, why am I doing that? And, and I said, well, you know why you're doing that. It's because it's all you're used to. It's your security blanket. No matter how tainted and dingy and ripped up that security blanket is, because mm -hmm. you're used to it, mm -hmm. you think it brings you comfort. It's not bringing you comfort. It's still bringing you pain. But it's because you're used to the pain and mm -hmm. you're afraid to let go of the pain because you don't know what happiness is going to feel like or mm -hmm. that the other shoe will drop. If you feel happiness, you'll lose it. Ah, uh, yes, yes. So when somebody tells me, when they're telling me their story and they're, they're, they're 60 years old, 40 years old, 80 years old, and they're expressing the pain while they're telling me the story all over again, I'm like, are you kidding me? Why are you reliving this pain and recreating it for yourself as you're telling me this story? Why is it still, why are you holding, because they're holding on to it. By 80 years old, don't tell me that that old feeling of what mom did is still as strong as it was when she hurt you or when you were hurt, okay? It's not as strong, but you're reigniting. You're adding a new thought. You're adding, woe is me. You mm -hmm. see, my life, it sucks. I'm so mm -hmm. bad. I'm not mm -hmm. worthy of it. Of course, then the same pain is going to happen. Don't get me wrong. I'm not trying to make it sound simple and it's everybody's fault. You want to feel pain, you're making, nana, nana, boo, boo, you're making yourself feel pain. No, I'm not saying that. I said it was difficult to let go. 
but you have got to be courageous enough to believe there's something better than the bad pain you're feeling. Mm -hmm. And you have to want to grow. Yeah. You have to believe. Yeah. You have to believe in something, Laurie. It starts with a belief. Mm-hmm. So true. And I, I they don't sometimes people just don't realize that they're in this patterned way of being, this patterned way of thinking that they are they they're breathing life into that thing that is causing them pain by rethinking it, re reliving it over and over. Um and so sometimes it's just a matter of do you realize that by your by the patterned way that you think and move and do things every day, you keep this alive. It's a choice. And you're right. It's not necessarily easy, but it is doable. It is possible. If you are just absolutely. Yeah. If you're ready to stop now doing that. What you just said is really important. You, the beginning part of what you said is, People don't realize they're doing that. In actuality, everybody has to understand that everything we do is for some kind of purpose. Benefit. The human mind does not make a choice for no reason at all. Okay. So it's always to gain something. All right. So what do people gain by reliving their story? And I'm going to tell you what people gain besides being comfortable with it. Facebook and social media told us and showed us something very important about people. You, you know how you read it and you see all these wonderful posts for some people. And then you see these people that have to air their laundry. Right. If they got a boo-boo, they got to show it. If yeah. they're in the hospital almost dying, they've got to show it. They've got to please pray for me. I'm, I'm going through such horrors in my life. Why do people air their troubles? Why do when you say to somebody, so how are you doing today? And they go, oh, my God, it's terrible. I can't believe you asked me that. Oh, my life, everything. My husband left me. My, my wife is mistreating me. She had an affair. On and on and on and on. What do they gain from that? They're mm -hmm. trying to gain attention. Yeah. Because that is attention as a child is what we translate into whether we're lovable or not. Mm -hmm. Well, guess what? It stays with us even as an adult. The type of attention we receive in the world reinforces in our minds whether we're lovable or not. So if I can't get positive attention, Mm -hmm. then I'll go for the negative attention. Right. And I'll err. And so that's where the concept of pity party came from. Mm -hmm. And those are cruel type of understandings. But in a psychological way is people do go through that so that they can get some kind of attention. Mm -hmm. When did we get and receive the most attention from our parents when we were children? Mm-hmm. Yeah, always well, when we were ill right right when we're when babies we toddlers yeah or ill right right or ill so today a lot of your illnesses that even people wind up creating or holding on to mm -hmm. is for that for attention holding on to the, the the depressions holding on to the pains is so that they can get somebody and and i don't blame them mm -hmm. i don't blame them for doing that because they never had it when it was needed 
but they have to understand they gain nothing from it today. Mm -hmm. They gain so much more by releasing it and becoming the magnificent being they really are. Yes. Right. That's well said. Well said. Oh, I have so many questions for you and we're at the top of the hour. So I want to be respectful of your time, Vincent. Um, and so, but, but Hey, let's, um, let's finish up and then promise me you'll just come back again for round two at some point. That would be wonderful. So yes. Well, I was going to say, you know, I would love it if um, if we could leave our listeners with just some some tips. I mean, as you know, everybody on the globe is is going through, you know, some a lot of disruption. So we shall we say all everybody's uh, lives are being disrupted for this past year. And I don't know, you know, nobody really knows when when uh, things are going to start to settle down. Um, So I think between a lot of um, fear and uncertainty going on. Um, even though there are many of us that look at this as a wonderful opportunity and we're able to, you know, make something fantastic for ourselves or out of this, but there are a vast number of people that are like, I don't see an opportunity here. I am just trying to keep my head above water. What can we tell them? What from your perspective as a, a, psychotherapist and a psychic and just a a positive, wonderful human being, what would you like to share with everybody about how they can allay their fears a little bit? Wow. You know, I've asked that so many times and I have to say with all the compassion and and, and what I feel in my heart that people are going through, Lori, it's 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 even hard to come up with an answer yeah because i almost feel like well if i can come up with an answer on how to make you better and you can't that that somehow it negates what everybody is going through mm-hmm. and and my heart tells me that it's just so hard sometimes and and to even muster up the energy to do right to 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 get themselves in in the correct mindset can be so painful and and need it, it requires such energy that sometimes i don't even know what to tell them yeah the only thing that i can tell them is oh, grasp on to a different belief mm-hmm. albert einstein said that you can't solve a problem with the same set of beliefs that created it. So you need a new belief, a new belief about yourself, a new belief about life, a new belief about a power or source that you're connected to. Don't be afraid to release even just a bit your old beliefs to make way for some new beliefs, a belief that you are more than this physical world, that what you're seeing out there, yes, you and I, Lori, if I turn around and I say to you, this is all an illusion, you and I exactly know what that means, but say it to the lay person, to the mainstream person, it's like, what are you talking about? I have no money. I have no job. My, I'm sick. Yeah. I'm, I'm, my, my father is in a deathbed over there with, with coronavirus. That, that's real. Mm-hmm. It's different but there's more. We are more than that physical body. We are spiritual beings having a physical experience. If you can just expand on that belief, hold on to it momentarily, believe 
the way I believe in you, the way Lori, the way anybody else who understands this material, see yourself through our eyes just for a little bit, that we believe in you, we see your divinity, we see your magnificent magnificence, we see your unlimited power to be able to transform your life. This is the only world that we can go from zero to 100% of all we want overnight. It's been proven over and over and over again. Watch a positive, inspiring movie and not the negative news all the time. Read a positive, inspiring book that gives a new message as to who you really are and start. You don't need to be perfect. You just have to say, I want to believe in something else. And that's the door that opens that your soul can then squeeze through because we stop, the defense mechanisms stop what's coming up from beneath the surface because it's afraid. But some good stuff is trying to make its way up through there too. Release the hold, open up, and just try to believe in yourself. And the moment you start that, you'll be given the benefits, the opportunities, more messages to take the next step. That's all I can say, Lori. Uh, I think that you over-delivered there, Vincent. <laughs> that was beautiful. That was amazing. That was mic drop. That was perfect. That was awesome. I, I love everything you said. I think that's, I think that's wonderful and, and such a good reminder. I mean, this is not the first major disruption that humanity has experienced. And we always seem to get through it. We always seem to progress and get better in many ways. We still have a lot of work to do, obviously, but, but we are, we're getting there. We're getting there. Consciousness is rising. And so I think that, um, I think everything you said was spot on and it was beautiful. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you, Ron. Thank you. All right. So I'm going to, I'm going to save my, I'm going to put a new file. Uh, you're still in the open file box, Vincent, because I'm going to have to have you back. So I want to talk about like animals and like a bunch of other stuff. So um, we're going to, we're going to save that and promise me you'll come back. And, but before I let you go, please share uh, where everyone can find out more about you and your services, please. Thank you. Well, the, the best way is just go to my website at vincentjenna.com. And that's with a G-E-N-N-A. And you can connect to me from there and find all the other places to, to go to. You see all my media work and interviews and lots of podcasts and information and resources. So that's the best way, Laurie. They just have to go to my website. Perfect. And we will also have that in the show notes for everyone so they can easily find you. This has been wonderful. I am so delighted that we had this time together, Vincent. And uh, everyone, thank you all for spending all of this time with us. If you've been listening to this podcast on, um, on, on one of the podcast platforms, I would encourage you to jump on over to YouTube and watch us there so that you can you can see this wonderful human being that has been sharing all of his wisdom with you <laughs> and and watch the uh, watch the episode. Yeah. yeah, yeah, why not? I mean, he's a showman. You got to you got to see him, right? So 
Okay. Thank you, everyone. Um, make sure to share this with anyone that you think um, might find some value in it. I think that there's probably a whole lot of people that would. Uh, please subscribe if you haven't already so that you don't miss any upcoming episodes. Give us a five-star rating. Of course, we would love that. Um, and that's it. So until next week, you guys, stay feisty, my friends. Stay healthy. Wake the blank up and go make some epic shift happen in your lives. You too, Gary Vee. <laughs>